Well, this morning, uh, I have the honor of turning the mic over, and uh, I want to just tell you that this is going to be such a blessing to you, and I'm so excited uh, that these men are here. Eric Nidefer and Adam Lopez uh, did not know each other four years ago, and then one night their lives intersected in a way that was just a spectacular expression of God's mercy. So I'm going to ask Eric and Adam to come up this morning and share what God did in their lives. Uh, let's welcome them this morning and praise the Lord for how he works. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, I'll try and get through this. Um, but uh, if we could just take a minute, I just want to pray before my brother leads in. And uh, uh, yeah, that's it. Let's just pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for who you are, Father God. I thank you for your love and your mercy. Lord, I exalt you with everything that I have, Father God, because if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here, Lord. Lord, Father, we just want to uh, praise your holy name. And Lord, we lay everything at your feet this morning. Any chains that bind us, Father God, we give to you. Lord, let this morning of... Uh, my brother and I's testimony that you have blessed us with, Father, let it just be exalting to your holy name. Father, I pray that this, this testimony would just shake the foundations of our hearts, Lord, and that we may taste and see that the Lord is good. So, Lord, we thank you in advance for what you're going to do this morning, and we love you, and we praise you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. He's going to get me going already. We haven't even started. Um, my name is Eric Nidefer. I'm 42 years old. Um, I'm married. I have four kids. And this isn't a testimony of how Christ found me and saved me. This is more of a testimony of how great he is and how he answers prayer. So um, not a public speaker, so forgive me for stuttering and saying um and all those other good things. But um, as a build-up to this, um, I live down in Kenosha. We live in Kenosha. We lived just west of the interstate <coughs> back in 2013. We uh, decided to build a house uh, in the same subdivision that we live in. We owned some real estate for a few years and decided to build on it. Um, so leading up to that, you know, working and designing the house, and I'm a contractor by trade, so I, I ran the whole project, and anybody that's dealt with construction can attest to the fact that it could be stressful at times. It's during that time that... Uh, I worked at a company called Martin Peterson down in Kenosha, HVAC contractor, and um, had a brother there from church. I, we go to church at Racine Bible Church, and I had a brother that worked in the shop. So he and I would meet Wednesday mornings for uh, Bible studies, just quick half an hour, you know, get in the Word, pray for each other, and things of that nature. So um, building up to actually uh, building this house, my wife, Jennifer, had noticed that she had kind of fallen away from the Lord. Um, it was a prayer of mine that... Uh, with Mike at the shop with one of our associate pastors that, you know, Lord, I, I notice this. This isn't going well. You need to intervene. Um, but as time went on, it was kind of went from a half-hearted prayer to just a full-blown-out, Lord, you have to do something here because I, as her husband, can't do anything. You know, I could rag on her and say this and say that, but those of you that are married know that's not going to go anywhere anytime soon. So, um, you know, left it in the Lord's hands. Just, Lord, you, you have to do something. I can't do anything here. So that was... Uh, the prayer of my heart, that was the prayer of Mike's heart at work, that was the prayer of my associate pra uh, pastor. So I had just a bunch of guys praying for us. So um, my wife is a runner, 
Anybody have a runner in their life? Yeah, they're, they're, they're crazy. Um, <laughs> she, she trains all the time. She's into half marathons and full marathons and sprints and all this other stuff. So we're in the process of building this house. So we put our uh, other house up for sale thinking, hey, you know, we're going to build this house and we'll live in this other, other house and we didn't think it was going to sell and at least not right away. And uh, lo and behold, the Lord, you know, kind of worked his, worked his way and the house sold in two weeks. So uh, we were scrambling uh, to find a place to live, uh, get all our stuff packed up, get into storage. And this was May of 2013 uh, that we closed. So uh, packed up, found a storage. We actually found a place to live in, in um, Kenosha, uh, right by Lowe's. It's called the Falls of Pike Creek. It's a little like condo complex down there. Uh, we had a friend that had an open uh, condo, coincidentally had an open condo. Um, so he rented it to us. Um, we moved in that May. And um, so my wife was still running. I was still working. And she ran pretty much every morning, except Wednesday mornings when I had that Bible study with Mike at Martin Peterson. And so, um, you know, it was a Wednesday morning, early in the morning. Four o'clock in the morning, maybe. <laughs> my wife had gotten up to go to the restroom. And uh, she came back to bed and noticed that I was, I was like up on my pillow, kind of, kind of sitting on my pillow, which was odd because I should be sleeping, and um, she goes, what's wrong? And I, I guess I, I tried to say something, um, but then next thing you know, I kind of went face down on my pillow, and uh, I guess that was it. I, I, I don't know what happened after that. So um, that was on June 26 of 2013 at, at 4 in the morning, um, where the Lord kind of answered prayer, uh, not a way that I would expect, but in his own time, and that's... Uh, kind of where my brother came into picture. So if you want to kind of go from there from your perspective. Um, this is meant for me singing. Um, <clears throat> so that night, uh, I remember that night well. Uh, where I worked at in Kenosha, I was a police officer in Kenosha, and uh, I had been there for almost five years. And um, I just remember that night, I worked in the inner city of Kenosha because it reminded me of Chicago where I grew up and where I worked and it was busier and more people around and it just kind of felt a little bit more like home. Um, and so I remember getting ready for work and I go into a roll call and I look on the sheet and they have me out west. It's odd because nothing happens out west. So um, I just remember sitting there and I got really, really angry because you know, I wasn't a big traffic guy. There was just, I just wanted to be in the city. And um, so I confess before you all that I had a pretty bad attitude about everything. Um, so as the night went on, there was really not anything going on. It was a completely dead night. Um, and I just remember being so just disappointed that I'm out west and nothing's happening. And I hear all the calls going on in the city and wishing I could be there, and so this storm comes moving in, and I just remember pulling into the Lowe's parking lot, and uh, which is right on Green Bay Road there, if you don't know, by Red Robin, and I just remember the lightning was just fantastic, and, and I said, you know what, I need to get my heart right, I've had a bad attitude this entire night, so I just went there, and I sat, and I was cranking praise music, and I was sitting in the lot and just watching the lightning just and seeing God's majesty kind of like, like you sang earlier. 
And um, then at around four something, I can't remember exactly the time, but four o'clock in the morning, um, after not getting any calls, I see a red call come up on my screen, and I'm like, "What is this thing?" <laughs> and I look, and it said it was a med call, and um, it was a block away. I was sitting a block away where where somebody hit his cart or, or the condo, and um, I remember just seeing that it was right there. Said that's a possible seizure, and so I started driving, and it took me all of ten seconds to get there. Um, and uh, I just remember pulling up and ringing the doorbell and, and uh, where their apartment was, it faced right in the vestibule area, so I could see right there to their front door. And I remember Jennifer come running out, just frantic, and I knew that it wasn't just a seizure. There was something else going on. And uh, so we, uh, she opened up for me, and I remember walking into the room um, and at first I didn't see anybody because he was laying on the floor at that point. And um, I go over and I could see that he was, it, it appeared that he had not been breathing for a while. Um, Jennifer said that she had started CPR. I, I remember pushing in his chest with my knuckle as hard as I could, kind of some things that we do to try and wake people up, and there was nothing. And um, so it was at that point I radioed in and I told him, that I'm going to be starting compressions. And uh, the weird thing was, was that I remember writing in my report that I did about 15 to 20 compressions. But <laughs> when I went back to listen to the tape, it said that I was doing compressions for about three minutes, which means that I did about 300 compressions. And if anybody has had that honor to do compressions, it's hard work. And you get tired quick. And I just praise God that, you know, while I should have been tired, while I should have had all these things, I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel any fatigue. I didn't feel anything. I just kept on going, and I knew that his hand was on me during that time. So I just kept on doing compressions until EMS, uh, until EMS arrived, and they came in and, and took over. And I just remember sitting there and, and, and looking and seeing the place was rather small it, it was super small i mean for a family of six i, I actually <laughs> went online because i forgot it was 1183 square feet um and for a family of six i mean my kids at that stage were eight six four and two and so it was a three bedroom but it was it was kind of a small three bedroom so when you walk in the door there's just like a little living area right there uh, to the left was mine and jennifer's bedroom uh, which is where adam called me and then to the right was like a little kitchenette and then a bathroom and on either side of the bathroom two more small bedrooms where the girls were sharing one bedroom and um, the boys were sharing the other bedroom and um, you know just your typical not even solid core doors just very flimsy doors kind of paper thin um, I mean you could hear everything in this place it's just crazy we lived in a corner and people going in and out all night and people upstairs and sirens and so um, yeah it, it, was, it was it was pretty small and, and you could hear everything just like you're outside so and the crazy thing was, was that when I, uh, finally, when I had, uh, you know, been relieved by, by the firefighters, I look up and I grabbed Jennifer and I kind of let her retreated back to uh, the bathroom area so that they could have room. Um, I knew that he had no pulse. I knew that he was not breathing. Um, and so 
I wanted to just kind of, as best as I could, shield her and protect her and let her uh, not have to see, which I knew what was coming, which was that they were going to have to use the, the uh, AED to, to try and get his heart started again. So um, it was amazing to me as I sat in that bathroom and I looked. Um, at that time, there was four police officers, six firefighters, and then the six of them in the house, all in this tiny house. And we were moving, ta just throwing tables, moving chairs, moving furniture um, all around the room and, and uh, uh, just make, like he said, just making a ton of noise. And uh, so as we were sitting in that bathroom, as I was sitting with Jennifer, I just remember them getting them on the, on the cart and, and bringing them out into the living room area. And um, they shot them three three times, I believe, two or three times that I remember right in the living room and they weren't getting anything. Um, and that's when Jennifer just crumpled to the floor in the bathroom. And uh, honestly, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. I just remember praying in my head. I was like, Lord, just, just, just do something here because I don't want to see this guy die. You know, it's one of the worst parts of, of being an officer. And it was at that moment that I looked up and if you're looking at the bathroom right across, there was pictures on the wall, and it was of all of his kids. I had no idea that they even had kids. I figured, you know, maybe a couple, but there's four beautiful faces <laughs> sitting on that wall right above where their dad was. It was like, and, and I almost lost it right there. I just, I thought, oh, no, these kids are here. What's going on? So anyway, so the, the uh, EMS got him pulled him out of the out of the room and started taking him and it was just the four police officers left and I remember sitting there with Jennifer and I said we need to get you ready get you going and get you to the uh, to the hospital and she says I have to get my kids we have to get my kids and um, so I asked you know are they in the rooms right here by the bathroom she said yes and I said I just remember um, I just remember God's goodness throughout that whole uh, uh, time because I'm not even kidding you. I opened up that bedroom door into the girls' room and there was just such a peace. It was completely quiet. There was n you couldn't hear anything. It was amazing when you walked into that room and to see two girls sleeping there, not awake, nothing, with all of that noise that was going on. And I walked into that room, and you could just feel the presence of God. It was like a sanctuary. There was just there his, his hand of protection and blessing was over those rooms so that they didn't have to come out and see their father laying dead on a, on a cart. Um, so I just counted that as such a huge blessing. I don't know if you wanted to add anything to that. I wasn't alive at that point, so I don't <laughs> have a whole lot to add. My... Uh, Anything I ha had is secondhand from either Adam or, or Jen, so you, you're doing good. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, you were dead. That's right. Um, <laughs> so I, I, <laughs> so I just, uh, I remember Jennifer getting ready, and I could just see that, it, you know, I mean, obviously her husband is not breathing. She's, she's, he's laying there dead which has been now for probably, it's got to be close to 10 minutes. Um, and I thought about that fact. I looked it up last night, and I just think about how good 
God is to this is that, you know, with so sudden cardiac arrest and with, with when you stop breathing and these things happen, your brain starts dying between three to five minutes. And it was like 10 minutes that we were in there. And there should have been so much more damage than what was done. And I'm, I'm in his ear, you know, so, I mean, God is, God is good. And, and, and I just, there was so much there. And I just remember with Jennifer getting her, it was the little details. And Jennifer and I have since had conversations on it about how much it meant to her. But it was just God working through me because I didn't know what to do at the, at the moment. I was, you know, you don't know what to do. And how do you talk to somebody whose husband is, you think is going to die? And um, I just remember getting the kids up. And I remember Gabby looking at me and kind of, kind of like, what are you doing here? <laughs> and um, then she just gave me a big smile, and it just, it calmed me, you know. So I got the kids up. I helped get them dressed. And I just remember getting down on, on all fours and just getting their shoes on for them and tying their shoes and just helping get bags packed for them. And all I could think was that this was my wife. We had three small kids at the time. If this was my wife, I want somebody to take care of her. Um, and so uh, I, we got the kids ready. We got them packed up. And as I was kind of walking around being a cop, you know, and my brothers who are cops can attest is, uh, you know, you're just kind of, you're looking around, scanning around, trying to see if there's anything, you know, whether it was drugs or alcohol or anything like that, you know, something out of the ordinary if, or if it was just a medical uh, situation. And I remember looking on, on a side table and there was a Bible, a couple Bibles and some Bible study material. And uh, so when we packed up the kids, I told my lieutenant, and it was weird because you don't really tell your lieutenant anything. You just kind of ask him, you know, and I told him, I said, I'm taking Jennifer and the kids I'm going to drop them off, drop the kids off at, the, at their friend's house, and then I'm going to take her to the hospital, and I'm going to stay there until her family arrives, which is, at least for, for us, was a no-no. You know, you just take her, you get her to the hospital, and then you leave, and you go back to the station, and you do your report. But he was like, okay. And it was just weird, you know, like that God allowed that to happen. And so I... While we were driving in the car, I remember asking Jennifer, I said, I noticed that there were some Bibles. Are you guys Christians? And she said, yes. And I said, would you mind if I pray for you right now with you and the kids? And um, she said, yes. Uh, and um, so we just prayed in the car. I grabbed her hand, and we just started praying. We just started praying to God, God, just do a work, do a work. We have no control. Just do a work. You need to be here right now. And I remember at first wanting to curb my prayer so that the kids weren't worried. But I just started praying and praying and praying as we were driving. I think I even closed my eyes and I was driving. But, but uh, we're all here, so it's good. Um, but uh, I remember dropping the kids off and taking Jennifer into the emergency room at the hospital. And when we got there, uh, I just kept praying with her. That's all I knew. That's all I knew how to do was just pray for her, pray for him, pray for their family. Um, and so we sat in that room for over an hour waiting for her family to come in, and, and we just continued to pray and pray and pray. So so obviously I didn't know any of this was going on. Um, 
like you said, I, I, I think by secondhand accounts, they shocked me three times in the apartment, and then on the way to the hospital, they had to shock me three more times to get some sort of rhythm going. Um, so I, we, I, we got to the hospital, and uh, I, I guess from what, what I'm told, they, they induced a coma um, because they didn't know how much brain damage had been done, and I guess that's one way to kind of help with that is induce a coma. Um, they cooled my body temperature down to 80 degrees or so, 80, 82 degrees. Um, took me over to Safe Cats uh, in, uh, in Kenosha. So this, was all, this all happened on a Wednesday, uh, Wednesday morning. So like Adam said, he got the kids, helped get the kids dressed, and I brought them over to a friend's house that lived close by. Once again, another convenient thing. <laughs> uh, they lived close by. Um, I don't know if it was Jennifer or you that called, called work, but uh, called work. Obviously, I wouldn't be in, so the vice president at the time, I got one of the gals, went to Woodman's, got a bunch of stuff, took it over. Um, to our friend's house, made sure the kids were taken care of. So um, I was at the hospital. They did all that stuff to me, and this was a Wednesday, I guess Wednesday night or maybe early Thursday morning. Um, and I don't even know when mom and dad got there. Maybe you guys get there. Okay. So mom and dad came back from Kentucky. Um, they'd just been up or we'd just been down there for a family reunion, so they came up uh, when they heard. But um, uh, Thursday night, Friday morning, I'm sorry, Wednesday night, Thursday morning, I guess, they, you know, made it sound like I was trying to get out of this coma, like on my own, like I was fighting or trying to do something. So in the meantime, a bunch of brothers from Racine Bible came over uh, in the day, you know, during the middle of the day and just prayed over me, maybe five, six, seven guys, and that really uh, struck a chord with my wife that, you know, they dropped everything they're doing their job and come pray for a brother that needed them, you know. So um, they prayed over me, and they uh, slowly started to bring me out of the coma. And so the, the first memory I, I have after this all happened is, I mean, I'm kind of looking up, and I see his head above me, blonde hair hanging down, and holy smokes, you know who I am, do you know who I am? Oh, my name is Jeff. And I started laughing. I, I didn't know what happened. I was making a joke, and she she started crying. She's like, "Yeah, he's he's gonna be okay." So that was kind of <laughs> the first <laughs> the first interaction that we had uh, when I came out of the coma. So um, that was on Thursday. Um, I think that that was the day. I, I, you know, it's all kind of sketchy in my mind, but I think that was the day that you actually came back to the hospital. And so they they got me up. They got me walking, um, which. I don't know how many people here are first responders or, or paramedics, but I mean, this is a, a bona fide miracle. I mean, I should not be up that quick, walking that quick with the faculties that I had for the God providing a miracle. So I was uh, up walking with Jennifer in a hallway um, or wherever we were at. I don't know if it was intensive care or whatever. And the next thing you know, she's, she goes, hey, that's Officer Lopez. That's Officer Lopez. So I turned around. I'm all bloodied up and nervous, <laughs> you know. So... You want to kind of take it from? Well, I, I think just backing up just a little bit, I remember, you know, calling uh, Wayne and some of the guys from RBC and letting them know what happened. And I remember getting home and praying, you know, just dropping to my knees and praying my, with my wife. Um, for some reason, this, more than anything else that I had seen, this thing had just hit me really hard. And I remember going, it was a Wednesday night, which, you know, it was a miracle because I know you said that Jen was running on Wednesday. So if she would have went out and ran, she would have come home and he would have been dead. Um, 
more prepared, I guess. But anyway, fi finally dead. Um, and so I, I just, I remember coming, and for any of you guys that were in choir, you remember that night, because choir was on Wednesday night. And we were at Jason's building, at the old building downtown, which is the building that they got married in, by the way. Um, and I just remember praying, and we prayed for you, brother, for over an hour. It was just everybody just, right after we were done singing, I just kind of let everybody know, and we just praying and praying and praying for you guys, and you just had so many people covering you guys and so many people praying for you guys. And uh, so like, like you said, so leading into this, again, they, uh, they put me out west again, and I got a car accident on that Thursday, Thursday or Friday, I can't remember, but uh, I went into the uh, emergency room, and I asked if, if Eric was still there, and, um, and they said, yeah, just go around the corner. And so when I went around the corner, they told me where his room was, and the doors literally opened up, and I see him, you know, the back of his head as he's walking down the, down the hallway um, with Jennifer, and I just called out to Jennifer, and that's when she turned around and we saw him. And, and yeah, it was kind of funny because he was kind of looking at me like I have no clue who you are. But, but um, it was just so, it was so amazing to see this guy a couple days later walking and talking and doing these things. And I remember going up to when I was there, I remember asking the doctor what his prognosis was, what it looked like. And they said, it doesn't look good. He's pro he, they said at the very best, he'll be brain damaged and, you know whether it's a vegetative state or whatever, we don't know, it's too early, but you know, they were expecting him to die. So then when we came back in, I remember the same doctor was on that night or that day that I came in and some of the same nursing staff and they said, I remember them telling me, they said, oh my goodness, it was all because of your compressions. You, you saved his life, you saved his life. And I just remember sitting there and saying, no, it's because we prayed for him. He had brothers and sisters that, that loved him, didn't even know who he was, but loved him and prayed over him. And it's because God is good Amen. that he is alive today. And um, I got some kind of funny looks. <laughs> and then, uh, but I didn't care because I knew that it had nothing to do. God put me in that position for that moment so that we can sit here today and tell of his goodness and that, you know, miracles do still happen. You know, they, God, is, God is not, you know, these things don't just die in the Bible, people. God is living and he's working today in ways that you can't even imagine, ways that are just so spectacular. Um, and this is living proof of it. And now, you know, I don't know, did you have anything to add to that? Or I don't want to cut you off. No, but um, he, he's right. And, and you, you sit back and, um, you know, we, we, we gave, I gave this testimony at our church and uh, Adam didn't speak, and that's why we thought it'd be neat for him to be up here since he was, you know, the first responder and kind of give his, his point of view. Um, but when you sit back and you just look at how God ordained everything to take place, I mean, just the web of circumstance and, 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 and miracles that happened throughout. I mean, you know, w we sold a house that we didn't think was going to sell uh, to get us closer to EMS. I mean, I, I, I looked it up where we lived. Um, uh, we were uh, 10 minutes from where he found me, um, we were six minutes away from the hospital. So and that, something like that, time lapse. Um, the nearest uh, first responders where we did live, 
they were 10 minutes away. And where they were living at that condo, they were over on 60th Street, they were four minutes away. Um, just the fact that he was in the parking lot at 4 a.m. working in the West when that's normally where he's not at is just is crazy. You know, this, these aren't coincidences. This is the hand of God answering a prayer before the foundation of time. It just blows your mind. Um, the fact that the kids didn't hear a word, didn't hear anything with six policemen and four paramedics and my wife and just, it just boggles my mind because these walls were paper thin. It's just crazy. Um, the heart doctor, when I came into the ER, I went to college with him. He stayed in my dormitory. I mean, are you kidding me? You can't write this kind of stuff. It's just only our God that can do this kind of stuff. It's just, just amazing. So, um, yeah, just, just to sit back and see the miracles and how all this played out, it was, ju it just, it just boggles. It still boggles my mind. I, I, st I still can't wrap my mind around it. Just, we serve an awesome God. So, um, so yeah. So I, we saw him in the hallway, and then, um, so everybody goes, "What was the diagnosis? What happened? You know, how this all end up?" Well, they don't, they don't know. Um, it wasn't a heart attack in the terms of like a blockage because, you know, my wife kind of got me into running as well. So I was running and, you know, no blockages, 100% clear. They think it was an electrical issue. Um, but they don't know be based on information that Jennifer gave when uh, I came in. She thought it looked like I was having a seizure. So now we got medical personnel going back and forth. Was it a seizure? Was it a heart issue? Blah, blah, blah. So the bottom line is that Friday I went in and had a defibrillator slash pacemaker implanted. They're like, we're not even going to do any more tests. This was so traumatic that <laughs> we're just we're going to throw this thing in so we don't have to go through this again. So hallelujah for that. Um, but then they got the, the brain docs in there, and they're like, well, if you had a seizure, you know, it might have caused it. So I'm also on anti-seizure medication the rest of my life, which that's the toughest thing i got to go through for this work, you know. So I'm covered either way. So um, that Friday, I had the pace. They transferred me down to KMH, downtown Kenosha, for the pacemaker. And um, stayed in there Saturday, and <laughs> Sunday they discharged me. Crazy. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I just look at it, and I look at the uh, entirety of the events and, um, you know, how God, you know, how I could have such a sour attitude during this entire time and then to see how God, God's hand works through it. Um, and now Eric and I are great friends. We, I've taken the place well, of his buddy Mike and you know now he and I have Bible studies every week on Fridays. Um, I actually have his old job, uh, which is another, another blessing. I mean, I was out of work. This 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 event kind of caused everything for me to have to leave the police force and uh, 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 just dealing with the stress and dealing with things. And I remember I was out of work for over a year, and I'm sitting there putting together bookshelves in somebody's house for money, doing whatever I could to just kind of kind of survive. And before uh, and, and working with Brother Greg, thank you, brother. That helped out a ton, but. Uh, knowing that, you know, the funds were depleting. And then I get a call from Eric, and he's just like, hey, what are you doing? You want to hang out? And I was like, sure. So, and I remember on the phone, he said, oh, by the way, I'm getting promoted, I guess. Yeah, we'll call it a promotion. Yeah. <laughs> Moved to another position at the company, and they're looking for safety directors. And I was like, well, I'm not one. But uh, 
he's like, well, it couldn't hurt. Just put in an application and, and, and try. And so I put in an application. They said, oh, okay, we'll sit down and meet with you. And they met with me uh, whatever day that was in the week, and they hired me right there. Um, so another just act of God, how he just continues to bless. You know, he knew that, that we were about to lose our house, about to lose everything, and he just came through. And he, you know, and, and that's the one thing that I want to, if I could leave you with anything through this, is that I want to let you guys know is one, God is almighty and he is powerful and he cares for you. He cares for each and every one of us. And two, prayer works. Don't let your prayer life struggle because prayer is our way to communicate with him and he listens to us. He said, let anything, God, do whatever it takes to get my wife back to you. And he did whatever it took. And, you know, I, I just think about it. And God is just so faithful and so good. And I just want to, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that we go through in life um, and that we've gone through in life. And praise God, we've been able to share this together. But um, I just want to encourage you guys that God is the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And he is almighty and all-powerful, and he hears the prayers of his people. So I just hope that today encourages you guys to, to take that deeper step in prayer and in faith to God, because I know that we all need it. And, um, yeah, that's, I don't know, I'm deep close. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I, I guess to sum up, I mean, yeah, I always quip when I give this testimony is, you know, be careful what you ask for. Um, because God is listening, you know. He, 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 he fulfilled a prayer request in a way that was so beyond me. I think I quipped when we did this in front of our church that I would have started off with a mild case of poison ivy and kind of worked my way up. But <laughs> um, that's not the way our God works, man. He, he, he took it upon himself to, to do what um, he had to do to get a hold of my wife. And, you know, I shouldn't be here today. Bottom line is I shouldn't be here. But, you know, by his grace and his provision, first responders and even my wife you know doing chest compressions and it, it's just yeah like he said uh, you know he's listening regardless of what uh, you may think or what people tell you God listens to prayer and um, he's faithful and he always will be so mm. um, Adam and I are great friends yeah he did he did take my uh, my job and uh, you know we have Bible studies and our families are very close now and it's just been a huge blessing looking back just a huge blessing I couldn't ask for a better outcome so I'm just glad to be here and be able to share with you guys and help build you up in your faith. So thank Amen. you. Amen. Thank you guys for sharing. You know, as I was thinking through this morning and um, just reviewing what had happened with them because I've talked to both of them. The words, there were four words that stuck out with me as we were sitting in Starbucks the other day just talking, and the words were, at the right time. At just the right time, Adam happened to be in that parking lot doing work close by. At just the right time, the EMS uh, men and women got there and helped Eric. At just the right time, their heart started beating again, and the doctors started working again. That, that, that was not coincidence, as they said. They, him being close by, that connection that God made between the two of them, Adam staying with his wife and, and praying with her, all of that, can you imagine to have a heart attack 
on Tuesday night and be out of the hospital by sa- or whatever he had, be out of the hospital by Saturday. Completely restored, no brain damage, no problems. Well, as I thought about that as we were sitting in the coffee shop, my mind went to Galatians 4.4, which says that the fullness of time God sent forth his son to redeem us and to adopt us as his children. Every person that's ever lived, every person that ever will live, has the same heart condition that Eric had, except it's spiritual. We all are dead. There's no life in us. There's no hope. There's no possibility of us saving ourselves. No matter what we do, no matter how nice we are, no matter how good a person we are, there is no way because sin infects us. And yet God, at just the right time, didn't leave us that way. When we needed it, when we needed salvation, he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ took our sins upon himself and took our place and died for you and for me. And then he didn't stay dead, just like God didn't allow Eric to stay dead. He raised him up. And raising Christ from the dead was not just a miracle story where he can stand there today and say, look at me. It was eternal salvation that was provided for anyone who believes. That's what this morning's about. It's a miraculous story about somebody that was raised to life after they died and their heart stopped. And that's a tremendous story, not to diminish that at all. But the real message we want you to hear this morning is that Christ did that for us. And that we who were dead in sin, Romans says, now can be raised to life. And adopted as his children because he redeemed us. And I want you to know that this morning. I don't know all of you. I don't know where you stand with the Lord. But I want you to hear this morning that Jesus Christ did that for you. He died for you. He rose again for you. He bore your sins so that you can be redeemed. And just as every person's heart is dead, the Bible says that God gives us a new heart and a new life.